0: wonderful to be with you guys again today and I said in the first service if you can't get moved after that worship service you're dead so we need to get you resurrected before you leave here today so hey I want to talk about one of the great gifts and I've titled the message the Holy Spirit is for you I hope that you sense that and feel that as we share this message together. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 36 to 41. If not, it's on the screen so you can kind of follow along together there as well. So I am going to ask you, even though you just sit down, to stand in reverence and honor for the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, "Save yourself from this corrupting uh, generation. those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. Lord, we just thank you for your word, and as we share it together today, Holy Spirit, will you just open our hearts and minds to the things that you have for each one of us? Tap us on the shoulder, speak into our heart and to our minds, and allow us to leave here today." with a sense that the Holy Spirit is working in each one of us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask it. Amen. You may be seated. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The word for power there is dunamis. And it literally is the word that we, uh, in the English, get the word dynamite. And so Jesus is saying that when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like this spiritual dynamite kind of going off on the inside of you. This dynamic explosion of power and energy that actually is unleashed in and through your life. Well, there was this... uh, Two friends, they had kind of gone to college together, uh, passionate for Christ. And so they, after college, went their separate ways, hadn't seen each other for several years. And so they thought they would get back together for a meal. And so they met at a restaurant. They went in, sat down, and as they began to share, Jim realized there was something different about his friend. His friend, at one time in his life, had been very passionate, very zealous for Christ. And all of a sudden, there was just something lacking, something missing. And so he sat there the whole time during their lunch, and he wanted to say something to him. He wanted to encourage his brother. He wanted to maybe say some kind of word that would lift him up and help him, but he really couldn't think of anything to say to him. And so after their meal, they walk out into the parking lot. They're walking across the parking lot to their individual cars. And finally, Jim, for whatever reason, he turns to his friend, yells across the parking lot, power to you, power to you. And his friend said, when his friend yelled to him, power to you. It was like this lightning bolt that exploded on the inside of him with new strength and energy and power. And he sensed it and felt it. And Jesus says, this dynamite of the Holy Spirit will come in you and he will explode on the inside of you that you will have this incredible strength and power. I don't know how many times in my life I've got up, and I said a prayer, something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you today. Man, I need your strength. I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit. I just need you today. I am weary. I am tired. Man, I am empty. I need you, Jesus. I think all of us probably have prayed prayers like that. We've gone through those kind of moments in our life when we need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in our life. I've had on a couple different occasions the opportunity to go to Israel. And if you haven't been there, it needs to be on your bucket list. I think everybody should go there, see the incredible historical sites of where Christ lived and walked and, and shared. And so when you go there, you're going to see these wonderful occasions and sites. And there was a couple that really stood out to me when I think about uh, going there. The first one was the Valley of Elah where David killed Goliath. And so you kind of look over that valley, you kind of imagine these armies all stationed there for David to be anointed by the Holy Spirit to do this incredible work of taking down this giant. Another one was on Mount Carmel when uh, Elijah met there to confront the prophets of Baal and prayed fire down from heaven. And of course you get to go to the place where they <clears throat> believe that Jesus was born, you get to go to the place where they, we believe that he was crucified on Golgotha, you go to the place where the garden tomb where they believe that Jesus was was laid and resurrected. We get to go to those places. And for the most part, I'm sure it's pretty close. I'm not sure exactly if it's the exact location, but it's going to be really close where they believe that that was the location. And so you go to these different uh, locations, you see this history, you experience it. But there was one place that stood out to me more than all of those. And that was the upper room. The upper room is where the 120 in Acts chapter 2 gathered. And Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to tarry here. I want you to wait here. I want you to pray here. And you wait and pray until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so Jesus gave that uh, encouragement that commission to them. You wait, you pray until the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, of course, that's when the Holy Spirit fell upon those disciples, the 120. It was like a mighty rushing wind. It was tongues of fire that came down, sat upon their head. And all of a sudden, these people were energized by the power of God's Spirit. Well, when I went to Israel then, we went to the upper room and the, when I went into the upper room, it was one of the places, maybe the place, that I felt the Holy Spirit's presence the most. And so you go in, and there was other people in there that were kind of talking and chatting about the upper room and what was going on. But for whatever reason, I just began to back up. I began to back up, and I got myself all the way against the wall, and I shut my eyes, and I tried not to be a distraction to anybody else. But I realized what took place in that upper room over 2,000 years ago when God poured out His Spirit on mankind. And I just lifted my hands, and I began to pray, and I said, Lord, do it again. Do it now. Do it again in this day do it in my life fresh wind fresh fire god we need an outpouring of your holy spirit we need joel 220 to happen again right now in our lives in your church in this world in which we live and and which we we pray and so i was just praying standing there in that upper room realizing that that was the place that god poured out his spirit on mankind And as you stand and think about that upper room, it's like you can almost sense and feel the Spirit of God. Fresh wind, fresh fire. Can you feel it? Do you sense it? The Holy Spirit moving, ministering to our hearts and to our lives. And so I just prayed that prayer again. And I said, Lord, do it. Do it again. Well, in our passage of Scripture, we're told that Peter... When the Holy Spirit fell on the 120, and it caused such a commotion that people began to gather, that he stood to preach the word of God. He stood and he began to share the message of how they literally had crucified Christ. And through the process of that, he said to them, this is what you need to do. You need to repent be baptized, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that is for you, your children and for those who are far off. And he stood and preached that, gave that invitation at the end of his message and then we're told in verse 41 that around 3,000 people gave to their heart to God that day. 3,000, just imagine, think about it. Now when I think about Peter, And him getting up and preaching that message that day, it's astonishing to me. And the reason for that is this Peter, he had no training. In other words, he had never gone to Bible school. He'd never taken homiletics class. He never had a speech class. He had never taken a class of public speaking or how to put a sermon together. He just stood by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he preached. And when he did, the results of the Holy Spirit speaking in him and through him were 3,000 people coming to know Christ. Now, I just want you to know something. I've preached for almost 44 years. There's never been a time in my life where I've seen that kind of fruit ever in any message I've ever preached. But Peter, even though he was unschooled, was able to do that by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I was invited to go to India to do an open air crusade. And when I went over there, I was on the plane. I just remember talking to the Lord. And I said to him, I don't know why I'm going. I don't know why you've asked me to go. Why would you ask me to do an open air crusade and be an evangelist when I'm not an evangelist? I'm an exhorter. That's who I am. That's what I do. I encourage the hearts of people. And so I said this, but since you've asked me to go and since I'm going, you're going to have to give me the gift of evangelism because I'm going to need it when I share the word with the people. So each night we would gather. Matter of fact, they said there was probably around 3,000 people that gathered each night Many churches in the city came together to make this happen. And so at the end of each message, I would share an invitation. The invitation was you need Jesus, ask for forgiveness, let him come into your life, let him fill you with his Holy Spirit. And I did the very best I could of just presenting a simple gospel that people could understand and receive. Toward the end of the week, I began to hear stories of those who had actually prayed that prayer and that was coming to Christ. There was this one pastor who came up to me. He could speak English fluently. The man who came with him, he couldn't understand any English whatsoever. And so this pastor said to me, this man here... He's been a thorn in my flesh. He has made my heart and my life miserable, my ministry miserable. And this week, he said, he got saved. He came here, gave his life to Christ, and he's been beautifully transformed and changed. And so I look at this guy. He didn't understand anything, his pastor said, but he was beaming. His eyes were sparkling like this light was shining out of him. And he was all smiles. You could just tell that God had done something wonderful in his heart and life. Well, On Sunday, because it was Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning, they sent all the churches back to their own local congregation so they could do their own services. And then we came back that Sunday evening. Because they sent all the churches, uh, all the people back to their churches, my interpreter went back to his church. And I was speaking at another local congregation that morning. And so I was kind of nervous about that. I'd been working with this interpreter for about six days, and he was really good. He made me sound even better. And so I was so grateful for him. And so I was kind of nervous about uh, a new interpreter Sunday Easter Sunday morning speaking in this church. And so I'm sitting on the platform. This young man comes in. He's like 40 years old. That's young to me now. He comes in and he sits down on the platform and he looks over at me and he says, Pastor, I didn't think I would get to see you or get to say anything to you, but I want you to know something this week. My teenage son gave his life to Christ at the end of one of your services. And he was just beaming and you could just see the joy in his heart and life for what Christ had done for his son and their family. Now just think about this for a moment. On that first message that Peter preached... 3,000 people came to Christ that day and this dynamite of the Holy Spirit exploded on the inside of them and they were beautifully changed. Can you imagine the joy that was there? The presence that was there. The actual life that they were beginning to experience in Christ all at one time. 3,000 of these people rejoicing, celebrating this new life in Christ. And Peter he was the instrument that god used he was the instrument on that morning to stand up and god to speak to him and through him but who was peter anyway when we think about peter he was that fisherman in the in the pages of scripture jesus called him uh, stop fishing and i'll make you a fisher of men and so One day, when we think about Peter, we realize that these fishermen in Jesus' day were kind of unkept. They were kind of crude and rude, and they were just sinful men. That's who they were, kind of like us before giving our life to Christ. We think about, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was me, and that was you, and that was anyone that's ever lived except the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so Peter, he was this rough He was uncouth, unkept fisherman, a sinful man. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 5, he describes himself this way. It was... And the moment when Jesus went to the boat and he got in Peter's boat, they set out from the shore a little bit. And Jesus preached a message. And when he preached this message, then all of a sudden uh, the people began to receive it. And and when he was finished, Jesus says, "Let's set sail, and I want you to go out into the deep. Let down your nets again." And so he does. And all of a sudden, all these fish begin to break their nets. They put them in the boat. The boat begins to sink a little bit. They call their friends over. They fill their boat. It begins to sink a little bit. And we're told in the passage of scripture that Peter fell on Jesus knees and he said to him Lord depart from me for I am a sinful man depart from me for I am a sinful man you know when you're in the presence of Jesus when you're in the presence of a holy savior our unholiness and our unrighteousness becomes like filthy rags to him and so Peter says, "When well, you want to know about me? I was a sinful man, and I was unworthy for Jesus to even be in my presence. I said, Lord, depart from me. But maybe the Sanhedrin, they described Peter the best in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And it says this, that they noted that he was unschooled, an ordinary man. And they were astonished and took note that he had been with Jesus. He was unschooled, ordinary. They were astonished, and they made note that he had been with Jesus. You know, over the last 44 years of preaching... I've done my very best to be able to share a message that would spur the heart, change the heart, whatever the Holy Spirit wanted to do. I would do my best to put all that together and then deliver it on a Sunday morning. And after the service, through the years, I've had so many people come up, shake my hand as they were leaving the sanctuary or going out the front door of the church. They would shake my hand. They would say something like this, uh, Pastor, good word today. Man, that was awesome. Just thank you for your preparation time. Thank you for preaching the word today. Or they'll say, man, you just put on a beautiful banquet, a beautiful spread for us to eat from the Word of God today. That was absolutely wonderful. Or sometimes they would say something like this Man, Pastor, you sure stepped on our toes this morning. And my response was this I'm sorry I stepped on your toes. I was aiming for your heart. You know, <laughs> I was aiming for your heart for a life change. I don't want to smash your toes. I want to change your heart. But I when I think about all the responses over those 44 years of preaching, as people were going in and out, shaking my hand, patting you on the back, whatever it might have been, I don't think I ever had someone come up to me and say this to me. And I don't think I, on the way home, maybe in the car, as they were discussing the service or even the message among their family, I would say that they probably didn't think of, it, of something like this. No one ever came up and no one ever said, boy, Pastor Hubert, you can sure tell that you've been with Jesus this week. You can sure tell that you've been with Jesus this week. Even though that was my desire. Because my desire was life change. And the way life change happens is when people have been with Jesus. And when they've been with Jesus, then all of a sudden they become his instrument and his tool for life change to impact the lives of people. Always kind of desired that. That's what I always wanted Boy, you could sure tell that Pastor Hubert had been with Jesus this week. You could just tell it was flowing in him and through him just by the power of the Holy Spirit. You could sense that and know that. Well, when I think about those incredible moments of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would work in our lives, we realize that he uses just unschooled and ordinary people. When I think about unschooled and ordinary, the person who comes to my mind through church history is Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody, at the age of 10, quit formal education and went to work to help provide for his family after the death of his father. I can't imagine that, but just beginning to work and to do anything that he could to make a little money. Finally, at the age of 17, he left home and went to Chicago, got a job in a a shoe store, in a retail shoe store, and he was the stock boy, and he would just bring the shoes and put them on the shelves. There was a man by the name of Edward Kimball who came into that shop one day, went over to Dwight, put his hand on his shoulder and began to pray for him and prayed that God would change this young man's life. And as he prayed for him, he just prayed that the power of God would be upon him and that God would use this young man to impact the world. And so Dwight Moody says, I'll never forget that prayer. i never forget the power of that hand on my shoulder as he prayed. And as he prayed that the power of God would be upon me and in me. And he said it was like this dynamite exploding on the inside of him. So at the age of 18, he went to the streets to begin to help other young kids like himself. Uneducated, poor, really hurting kids. Matter of fact, he went to the place in Chicago where most people say, you don't go there. Matter of fact, they called him crazy moody because he went to this crazy part of town trying to win these young kids to Christ. He opened up a Sunday school. It was at the age of 25. They said, if I was you, I'd go ahead and start a church. And so we started a church there in Chicago. Today, we know it as moody church. After he started the church, he began to do some evangelistic work. He ended up going to London. And while he was in London, he was there for four months. And in four months, this young man, who had no formal education other than up to 10 years old, preached to two and a half million people. Can you imagine? Two and a half million people this young man had preached to. After he had finished, he came back. Back to Moody Church, continue to grow the church, build the church, work in all kinds of different ministries as well, even putting together educational schools to help those who needed to be educated. And through the process, the church continued to grow. One day, it was a Saturday morning, he was there just walking around in his bib overhauls, and a couple shows up at the church, and they say to him, he kind of lets them in, Hey, we want to see the church that Moody built. And so he says to them, I'll tell you what. Give you a tour of the church. But at the end of the tour, you'll have to come down to the furnace room because I'd like for you to see the furnace room. And they thought to themselves, undoubtedly, he's the janitor and he has his office down by the furnace room so that he wants to show us his office. And so they agree he gives them a wonderful tour of the church. They finish their tour and they realize that the time's getting away. And so they don't really think they have time to go down to the furnace room. And so Moody says to them, no, you told me you would be willing to come down to the furnace room. And so you need to come down and see the furnace room. So he takes them down to the basement. There's double doors down there. And he turns both handles to the doors. He swings it wide open. And inside there is 500 people down on their knees praying. And he says to them, there is the church that God built. Because God uses us as instruments and he never shares his glory. It is always about him and his glory and what he has done. For us and in us and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to understand that incredible life of this young man. How God began to use him. Matter of fact, they said at his death in 1899 1899, that he had either penned or through voice spoken to a hundred million people. Can you imagine? By 1899. And this gentleman... Had no further education than 10 years old. He was self taught, self learned, but the power of the Holy Spirit was working in him and through him. When I think about D.L. Moody, I think about some of the things in my own life. I think about my school and going to school. Now, I don't know about you, but I was a terrible student. Matter of fact, I couldn't care less about school or being there. My concern was getting out of there as soon as possible. And so I often say this, if I couldn't bounce it, shoot it, kick it, or throw it, I didn't want anything to do with it. And so that was kind of my approach to school. The only thing I ever read in school was the sports page of the paper. That was it. I never read anything else, didn't want any, anything else to do with school. And so when I say to you, I was literally a goof off, and I really couldn't even care about being there and like I said my desire was to get out of there as soon as I possibly could and so I would literally show up I would drive to school and I would be late almost every day to school And I would have to walk by the principal's office. When you walk by the principal's office, they would see you go into class. They would know you're late. If you're late for class, you're supposed to have a pass to get you into class. If you don't have the pass, you're not supposed to get in there. You're supposed to go back to the office. Tell them why you're late so that you can get a pass to get into your class. And so this one particular morning, I was late again. I was walking by the principal's office like I had done many times before. And all of a sudden, the vice principal comes out of the office office. And he begins to say, what are you doing? You're late and you need to get a pass to get into your class. And then for the next 15 or 20 minutes, he lectures me about being a leader. He said, you need to all of a sudden take some responsibility for yourself, for your life. You need to lead, be an example. You're an athlete. This is who you are. This is what you're supposed to do. And so for about 15 or 20 minutes, he lectures me about the kind of life with purpose that I'm supposed to have. And so finally, he walks me down, and my first period was study hall. That's why I would just kind of slip in, sit down in a chair, and just mind my own business, right? And so he walks me down to study hall. He opens the door, and he says to the teacher— he, he was with me. He doesn't need to pass, allowing to come on in and be seated. So I began to walk across the study hall. And as I'm walking across the study hall, looking for my seat, all of a sudden, the principal, the vice principal, he yells my name. He says, Nolan. And he woke everybody up in study hall. <laughs> he said, get out of here. And so I'm thinking, I was just walking across study hall. So I turn, I walk back out. I go out into the hallway. He shuts the door to the classroom. His face is blood red. His neck is kind of, the veins are bursting out in his neck. He's looking at me and he says, get a book. And I say, I don't have a book. He said, what do you mean you don't have a book? Well, the truth of the matter is I did have one book when I was a senior. It was my government book, and a friend borrowed it, and I didn't go looking for it. <laughs> and I said, I don't have a book. And he said, open your locker. Okay, so I spun the combination and opened the locker, and threw open the door. And in my locker was just a bunch of trash that I wadded up, threw down, you know, over the period of time. And there was no book. Empty. He looked in there, and his educational life passed before him. (laughs) And he's thinking to himself, how does this young man, who's a senior in school, go to this school and not even have a book? Finally, he looks at me, and he says, just get back in there and sit down. I thought, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I was, that's what I was going to do in the first place, right? Go in there and sit down. Well, it was during that senior year, though, that my life got turned upside down. And I shared a few weeks ago with you that my brother was killed in an auto accident. He was 21, and I was 17. And man, it just caused me to begin to search for meaning and purpose. And, and I knew that if this was all there is in life, if you just live and die and then you're no more, of all people we're most pitied if there's not a heaven if there's not eternal life that's out there for us my only problem was i didn't really know how to search for god and so i began to search in all the wrong directions towards drugs and alcohol and through that process um uh, quit college because i was so empty and so discouraged and defeated really by life and finally uh, a good friend of mine who was uh, a drinking buddy got thrown in jail and through the his uh, process of being transformed in jail, he invited me to go to church, and so I went to church with him a couple weeks. Finally, one Wednesday night in my home, I was just there, and I was going to say a simple prayer, and when I say to you, I really didn't know how to pray. I really didn't. I mean, I didn't know I should say something like, Lord Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want the gift of salvation. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I just confess who you are. I want you my Savior. I didn't know to say anything like that. And so finally, I just said this prayer. I said, God, um, would you take my life? And man, when I said that prayer, it was like, boom, dynamite went off on the inside of me. Dunamis, power. I just remember waking up the next morning and realizing something incredible has just happened to me. And I'm new, I'm different, I'm changed. And I knew that God had done this incredible work on the inside of me. It wasn't long after that that I realized that he had called me. A matter of fact, the first promise I ever received, Luke 4.19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. And so I just remember receiving that incredible promise from God, knowing I needed to go to Bible school, get trained, do something, so that God could actually use my life. And so I went off to Bible school. My first semester in Bible school, <clears throat> We had a a class called Old Testament Survey. And in the Old Testament Survey, I had to take my first test. And on the test, there was an essay question where you had to write about a paragraph answer to that question. And so I did the best I could and turned my test in. Um, When the teacher was finished or the prophet was finished grading all the papers several days later, she came by my desk and handed me my paper. And she said to me, Uh, I'd like to talk to you after class if I could. And I thought, okay. So after class, everybody left, and I kind of moseyed up to the front desk there where she was sitting. And and, um, so she looked up, and she started with a couple positives. That's what you do just before you give them a negative, right? She started with a couple positives, like, man, I've been really impressed with your spiritual hunger, your passion for the Lord, your zeal. But she said, She said, your grammar and your writing skills are so poor, you will never make it in ministry. And so, it must have been the look on my face, or the shock look. She said this to me, but I'll help you. I'll help you make it. And so, for several weeks, I don't even know how long, maybe the rest of that whole semester, she met with me. And she would say, these are irregular verbs. Go, went, gone. I thought, that's strange. These irregular verbs. And she'd say, for a complete sentence, you need a subject and a verb. Oh, okay. That's good. Really good to know. But through her encouragement... And through the power of the Holy Spirit, because he gave me such a desire to learn, that first semester, I made the dean's list. Because that's what God does. I remember leaving Kansas and headed on to seminary. And after seminary, we came here to plant the church in 1983. And through the process of that, we were able to buy our first five acres of ground here. And uh, when we bought the five acres, actually the oak tree was in the tree line. So it was kind of protected, right? So the fence went this way and the tree was right there. And so um, before we were going to dedicate the land, I actually came out here with my two daughters, uh, Sarah and Rachel at the time. They were probably like six and eight or maybe seven and five, something like that. So we were standing underneath the oak tree. The oak tree is 350 years old. I measured it one time. And um, that gives you a little bit of history, right? So we were standing underneath the oak tree out back. And um, I said to the girls, we were looking out over beans because that's all it was. just 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 soybean field. Nothing else other than the big oak tree. And I said to the girls, hey, girls, can you see the church building? And they looked. And they said, no. I said, you don't see it? They said, no. I said, I can. They said, you can? I said, yeah, I can see it. I said, you've got to have to see it with eyes of faith. And they were looking again. Later that evening, they were talking among themselves. And one of them said, hey, did you see anything in that field today? They said, no, we didn't see anything. And then the other one said, do you think Dad saw something? And they said, I don't know, but he said he did. (laughs) I just remember standing there believing that one day God would plant a church and build a church for this community. It would be like a gateway into the whole New Powell community. Well, we were doing a dedication service for the land. and At that time, we actually rented the Lions Club down in New Powell. Is it still called the Lions Club? i 'm not sure, and um, but anyway, the building down on the left, and so we were renting it, and we were going to do our service there because we were renting a church building off of South Franklin Road at the time, and so we were there, and, and that service was to cast vision for the new church building and everything we were going to do, and how God was going to use community church to impact our community and make a difference here in the area and so in the congregation that day was this gentleman. He had a couple master's degrees. He had his doctoral degree. Matter of fact, he'd often say about himself, he was a professional student. That's who he was. That's what he did. He'd actually went on to be an amazing professor at one of the uh, Christian colleges. And he was studying there in the congregation. And when I, matter of fact, I've heard him teach. And he's one of the greatest teachers I've ever heard in my life. And so, anyway... He's sitting there in the congregation. I preach this message about vision and passion and doing something for God, kind of a message. And so after the service, he comes up to me and he said, hey, I'd like to give you a little feedback. And I'm wanting to take a big gulp right <clears throat> like that. You know, he's realizing that probably he's either got my verb tense wrong or had that incomplete sentence or something going on. And uh, so he said, no, I want to share with you something. And he said, um, what you have, he said, um, you didn't get that in a classroom. What you have, you didn't glean that from a textbook. What you have, it doesn't come along with a degree. What you have is a gift of God. It is the anointing of his Holy Spirit. And as a young pastor, trying to find my way and figure out how God was doing all this, those were some of the most encouraging words in my life up until that point. I remember when we finally broke ground, built a church, and got started, there was a lady in our congregation who said to another lady, the people of this community will never come to hear a hog farmer preach. And so, she was mostly right. She was mostly right. They would never come to hear a hog farmer preach, but they would come to hear a hog farmer who had been with Jesus preach. And there's a big difference. So all of my life, it was that push, lean into Christ, because I had to. And I knew that those who desire the power of the Holy Spirit, they're the ones that will change the lives It's not what we do, it's what God does through us and in us to accomplish his purpose. Peter says in our passage of scripture in verse 38 and 39, hey, the Holy Spirit, all right, he's just stood, preached, 3,000 people come to Christ, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is for you, your children, for those who are far off. So I've often thought about that, the Holy Spirit's for me, which is beautiful, I mean, uh, what an amazing gift that God gives to us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's for my f- children. I mean, all my children. Holy Spirit's for them. What an incredible God. It's for all of my grandchildren, and if he tarries for generations to come, that gift is for all of them. The gift of the Holy Spirit's for you. What an incredible thought. The Holy Spirit, this dynamite power that God wants to put in you to explode in you to accomplish the extraordinary the things that you could have never accomplished in your own strength or by your own little act or your own education or your own training this Holy Spirit is for you Peter says when I think about that promise I realize there's about 40,000 promises in God's word at least I haven't counted them but that's what they say and um, if that's true then you could claim about 110 promises every day and never claim the same promise twice in a whole year. In other words, 110 promises today and tomorrow every day for 365 days, you would never stand on claim or believe in or receive a promise that you have already. You haven't. And so as I think about that, maybe the greatest promise is right here. For us in the pages of scripture if it's not the greatest it's definitely one of the greatest promises given Holy Spirit it's for you for you and your children and your grandchildren and for this church and this community the Holy Spirit God says it's just for you someone said um, hey do you have to have the Holy Spirit to make it to heaven I just want you to know I wouldn't even go to Walmart without the Holy Spirit I'm just saying (laughs) come on You know, why would anybody want to go to church without the Holy Spirit? Why would you want to go to work without the Holy Spirit? Why would you want to go to school without the Holy Spirit? Why would we want to do anything without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It is His gift to you. It is this dynamite power to help you to live this Christian life fruitfully for Him. So Peter, his promise is for you. And if he was here today and he was preaching this message from Acts chapter 2, he would say, the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for those who are far off, for those who will be setting in community church 2,000 years from now, the Holy Spirit's for them. But then he would say this, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You see, the Holy Spirit can take an unkept fisherman, unschooled not trained, give him leadership ability, have him stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people will come to know Christ through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He can take a 10-year-old boy in the streets of Chicago without formal training or education, begin to build this incredible church, and at the end of his life, impact a 100 million people. The Holy Spirit... He can take an unschooled hog farmer. And when he receives the power of the Holy Spirit, it so transforms him on the inside. That God can use him even to preach the good news and be a minister of the gospel. You could be the most gifted person in the room. Yet God has extraordinary things for you. Maybe your story is completely different. But the truth of the matter is we all need the Holy Spirit every one of us, and we have to allow his spirit to explode in us and through us to accomplish the work of God. It is a supernatural power. When I think about the Holy Spirit being in the upper room that night, that day in Israel, backing up against the wall, backing up, backing up, finally putting my arms up, saying, oh God, Do it again, Lord. Do it again in our day, in this hour. Fresh wind, fresh flower, fresh fire, outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon your people. God, do it. Do it now. Do it this day. Let it happen, we pray. There was a couple who owned a station wagon and a spirit, Dodge Spirit. I had one of those years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago. Don't get one. No, I'm just teasing. And um, they would decide each day kind of who was going to drive what, depending on how many miles and those kind of things. And so that day, Dave, her husband, got up, and he went out, and he drove the Spirit, and his wife needed to go to the grocery, so she was going to drive the station wagon, and so she did. But on the way, uh, she began to realize the station wagon was not driving well matter of fact, she was really concerned it was going to break down and she was going to be walking. And so she didn't know if she would actually make it to the grocery store or not, but she did. And in front of the grocery store, there was a kind of a fast food establishment through there. And when she got out of the car, she looked across at one of these fast food restaurants. And her husband was just getting out of the Dodge Spirit. And when he got out of the Dodge Spirit, she realized this was her chance to exchange vehicles with him and so she yelled across the parking lot Dave Dave I need the spirit (laughs) but I think through the centuries God's people have cried out God We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. And as you cry out, he will take these unschooled and ordinary people and like dynamite exploding on the inside, he will speak in them and through them to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the promise that is ours. And man, I just want to pray for everyone, God, that they would never, ever try to live the Christian life without the power of your spirit. Never go to work, never go to church, never go to school. Just don't do it without the Holy Spirit living in them. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift that's given to all who trust and believe. You know, there's days that we feel that we need your strength and your power and we need your spirit more. And in those days, I pray that you would fill us afresh and anew and you would wash over us in a brand new way. That your Holy Spirit will do some amazing things in and through the hearts of those who are present. You can call people to your service and to your work. May the Holy Spirit be speaking clearly. I want you. Come, follow me. Lord, I thank you that through the years, your faithfulness, your goodness has been evident. Your anointing has been so true and so needed, so desperate. And yet we are so grateful for what you have done, for the blessings of God and for the things that you are doing in and through this church, the body of Christ. And as we stand here, we just are amazed of your faithfulness, God. Thank you. Just keep doing it for your glory and for your honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want you to know, I'm going to ask you to please stand as these guys get ready to lead us in a song here. I'm not sure how you'd like to respond this morning. The Holy Spirit is for you, but if you'd like to come to a altar area, kneel by the steps. Feel free to do so. If you want to just stand down front, feel to do. Feel free to do that. Or if you just want to stand there and just turn your heart up and say, "God, do it again. Do it in me. Do it today." And if that's your prayer, I just want you to feel free to do that. I've lived long enough now. now I'm sixty five to realize it pays to serve the Lord. His faithfulness, His goodness. The evidence is all around you. Just have to open your eyes and see it all. Lord bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.